If you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2, as we study this book, we're getting wiser by the minute. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and as we've been looking at Proverbs, we find one of the big purposes of this book is that God would give us wisdom. It's his desire as our Heavenly Father that he would impart wisdom to us. And we've seen that this wisdom that God desires to give us starts, begins, and, is, and lays upon the fear of the Lord, that reverence for God, a healthy perspective of who God is. And if we miss that, we miss everything. If we don't have a right understanding of God, then everything in this book is just going to fall to the wayside. And it's just going to become good sayings, wise sayings. But that was never his intent. His intent is ultimately to reveal himself to us. Because he is, he is the one who's wise. He is the one who gives wisdom freely to us. Uh, through his word. And last week we saw that we have evil counsel who oftentimes is going to try to come and, and take us away from the wisdom of God. But we also saw how God's wisdom speaks out to everyone. God wants everyone to know his wisdom. He, even though some things in his word we have to dig for, as we'll see tonight, his desire is to impart that to us. He, as, a, as a heavenly father, as a good father, he desires to reveal himself to us. He desires to give us good things. And I believe one of the lies of the enemy is to cause us to doubt his goodness, to doubt that he loves us, to doubt that he desires to give us good gifts. And that causes us sometimes to turn elsewhere because of that lie, just as it happened in, in the garden with Adam and Eve. You know, Satan caused them to doubt his goodness and his character. And through that character assassination, they looked elsewhere. And that is the, the devastating consequence of looking for wisdom outside of the Lord and in his ways. So you could say that chapter one was wisdom's plea, and chapter two that we're going to cover tonight, Lord willing, is wisdom's protection. That as we learn wisdom from God, it's going to have practical implications on our life. It's going to change the way that we live. It's going to guard us from things that, that, that want to take us away from the Lord. And so wisdom isn't just a head thing. It's not us just accumulating more head knowledge as we study the book of Proverbs. Lord willing, this book's going to change the way we live our life because that's what wisdom is. Knowledge is something we have up here. Wisdom is working that out, being skillful with that knowledge. And God desires to protect us from the pitfalls of life. And so chapter one was also about hearing the word of God. Chapter two is going to be about internalizing the word of God. It has to go from our heads to our heart. If it just stays up here, then we might be good theologians from a book perspective, but you've probably met people in everyday life who are very intelligent book-wise, but when it comes to practical everyday life, they have absolutely no skill. There's no application to that knowledge. It's just having our head in a book. And so it's internalizing the Word of God. And, and, and we'll see tonight, chapter 2, you could divide into two sections, uh, verses 1 through 11, which we'll see the development of wisdom, and verses 12 through 22, where we'll see the deliverance from sin. And so let's begin in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, I want you to notice besides his address to the son or the child or really to any of us as children of God, notice that condition, if. 
And so right now he's showing us that everything that we're going to read is going to be conditional if we do the things that he's going to describe in verses uh, 1 through 4. So if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, and, and, and that concludes the if part that we're going to study the, this evening. But it all begins with that phrase. And so by, by accepting the Father's words with commitment, we're going to see God begin to give us understanding of his will for our life. Uh, notice that it says not only if we receive his words, but also treasure those commands within us. And that word treasure means to store up. Okay? The idea is that we store up things that we treasure. If I was to go to your house and I was to see the things that you store, those are usually the things that we treasure for various reasons. You know, I remember going into homes of people who had lived through the Great Depression. And people who've gone through those type of situations, they treasure things a little differently than the average person, don't they? Because they've lived through a time of scarcity. And so you might find money piled up in uh, all kinds of places people who maybe don't trust the banks and, and uh, saved every little thing for fear that the future could be very bleak. Uh, versus, say, someone born in the 1990s who's lived through times of great prosperity who maybe consumes everything in sight. And so you look at those two things. But we, we store up that which we treasure. And so he encourages, his, encourages us here to treasure my commands within you. And here the Father implores us to not only receive his words, but to treasure them. And, and besides that, notice that he doesn't cause us to uh, treasure those things because of his status as our Father. In other words, he causes us to treasure these things because they're ultimately the commands of God. They're God's word. You know, as a, as a parent, sometimes you get into this trap of your kids aren't listening to you and you say, you know, they might ask a question, well, why should I do it? And our common answer is, well, because I said so. And, and I guess that does suffice. But as Christian parents, we should always be pointing our children to the Lord. See, you obey me because the Lord commands you to obey me in his word. And if you allow your children to see that their obedience is actually to the Lord, it's very different than if it's just to you. Because when we think of our life as adults, it's hard to obey people when we see their flaws at times, isn't it? And no one sees our flaws better than our children. <laughs> one, of the hum one of the most humbling moments in my life is when I have to apologize to my boys because, you know, Daddy blew it. Daddy didn't act in a way that, that honors the Lord. Daddy didn't treat you in a way that I should have treated you. It's humbling to have to do that. But as, as Christian parents, we have to instill this on them that, that you're obeying me because through obeying me, you're obeying the Lord because he's the one who's commanded this. And if I should ever instruct my children to do something that the Lord doesn't honor, then you obey the Lord and not me. So any ounce of authority that we have as parents, as employers, whoever, it's because the Lord has entrusted us with that. 
And so he encourages us here. My son, receive my words, treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And so by inclining your ear or making your ear attentive, in other words, inclining the ear to wisdom comes from receiving God's word. Uh, it really comes before you're able to receive his word. Think about it. You have to hear before you receive something. And so as we incline our ear to hear, hopefully when you come and you're ready to hear the word of God spoken, we are, we are doing this maybe even subconsciously. We're preparing ourselves to hear the word of God. And that's what worship does many times. We worship the Lord. Maybe you come in here and your, your mind's on everything that's transpired throughout the week. You're having a hard day. All of a sudden, you worship the Lord. You sing these songs that exalt Christ. And it puts things into a proper perspective. It, it sets your mind in a position where you're ready to receive the word of God. And in a sense, that's inclining our ear. That's allowing us to hear what the Lord wants to say to us. And not only do we incline our ear, but notice we apply your heart to understanding. I love this word apply. It means to bend down. And it, in other words, we're yielding our hearts to understanding. We're bowing our hearts before the Lord. And probably the most beautiful picture that I've ever seen of this, in some Asian countries, when the pastor gets up to get ready to preach, and everyone would have been standing, or actually they would not be standing, they would actually get on their knees as the pastor would come up to the, the platform. And everyone in the congregation on their knees would raise their Bibles above their heads as they pray to receive the word of God. And it's, a, it's an act of submission. It's, it's a picture of the heart that is submitted to the very words of God. What a beautiful picture that is. Lord, whatever your word says, my heart is submitted to that. It's bending down to your word. We also see verse 3. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. Notice all these verses, how we are to be an active pursuit of the wisdom of God through his word. That seeking the Lord is something that we do actively. You know, there, there's God's part and then there's our part. But here he's focusing primarily on our part, isn't he? And notice all the action words here, inclining our ears to wisdom, applying our heart, crying out for discernment, lifting up our voice for understanding. When's the last time when you were praying to the Lord, you just lifted up your voice because you needed to hear from the Lord? You needed a word from God because of a situation that you're at. Sometimes, you know, he brings us to that place where we have no other choice than to cry out to him, doesn't he? But, but I believe his desire is that we would do that before we get to the tail end of the situation, that we would have the kind of wisdom that would say, Lord, I'm going to seek you when things are going well. Because I realize even though I'm at the peak right now, maybe, maybe nothing's wrong in my life right now. I'm not going through a valley right now. Uh, you know, the job's going well, income's coming in, the kids are good. But guess what? The valley's coming. And if on the times of where we're on that mountaintop, if we get into the habit of crying out, seeking the Lord, oh, when we're in that valley, guess what? That's going to come natural to us. That's going to be a learned response 
Because prayer is not a natural response. I, hope, I, I think we all realize that. You know, we, we have to train ourselves to turn to the Lord first rather than last. Sometimes you hear us say, well, all we could do is pray. And I think about that. Those words have come out of my mouth, actually, at times. Well, all we can do is pray. Well, do we realize who we're praying to? Do we realize the power of prayer? That when we get to that place of crying out to the Lord, of seeking him with all of our hearts, ah, oh, now he has us right where he wants us. Because now he has us to see what we really need, which is him. He's what we needed all along. Also notice that we are to seek her. We're seeking wisdom as silver and searching for her as hidden treasures. Imagine if I was to tell you there is a check for a million dollars hidden in this church. And at the count of three, you get to go look for it. And whoever finds it gets to keep that check. <laughs> now, I know we're all godly Christians, and we would let the other person look for it, right? We're going to let our brother uh, be exalted this evening. The reality is, if we put a PSA out on the radio, hey, million-dollar check in Calvary Chapel, Cumberland, be there at 5 o'clock Friday night. This place would be jammed, right? You'd have probably every person in Cumberland here. Yet that's for money that perishes. Think of how many people have won the lottery. All of a sudden, a millionaire. And then they, but they don't have the character to keep it. And all of a sudden, their life spirals out of control. And many of them end up claiming bankruptcy and you know, broken relationships because everyone comes out of the woodworks and wants that money. And yet the Lord's telling us here, oh, if we would just seek him and seek his wisdom as we would that hidden treasure. People in American history traveling to the West Coast trying to find gold, you know, through all kinds of environments, all for the sake of something, again, that perishes. And the Lord wants us to seek him because who here has learned that his word is so much more valuable than gold that perishes? As we sang, you know, he's the only one that remains. His word remains when everything else fails. And we have the eternal word of God. We should be like the psalmist who says, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Or like Job who said, I have treasured your word. I have treasured the word of his mouth more than my necessary food. That Job treasured God's word so highly that he could take, give or take food. Food really didn't matter at that point. Just like Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that that would be our desire. H.A. Ironside said this. He said, very different is this from mere mental adhesion to a certain theological system or a particular school of biblical lore. It is not so much holding the truth as being held by that truth. That God desires our hearts to be captivated by his word, by the wisdom that he gives us. And the condition of the hearer is what determines the outcome or effect of God's word. Think of it this way. Remember when Jesus told the par parable of the sower and the seed and the different types of soil? What was it that determined the effectiveness of that seed? We know it was the condition of the soil, and the soil represented the hearts of people. 
The, the seed was the word of God. And we see the word of God just goes forth. It goes, it, it, the sower just, he just casts it anywhere, wherever that seed would go. And we saw some seed would fall on the wayside and it would never even take root at all. And the birds of the air would come, take it away. And that was the symbol of a hard heart. When you hear the word of God, nothing happens. We saw the stony ground hearers. They hear and they receive the word, but when tribulation comes, they just stumble. The thorny ground hearers, which I believe is a vast majority of Americans, is where you hear the word of God, but the cares of the world choke it out. And so you have people who, you know, it springs up, but the, the thorns just take any bit of life from it. And finally, there's the good ground. The heart that's broken up and bears fruit as it hears the word of God. And so we see, even from Jesus' parable, that the condition of our hearts determine what that word's able to do in our life. And it's humbling because you realize yesterday's soil doesn't really matter for today's seed. In other words, your heart could be soft and pliable yesterday, but it could be hard to, today. You know, the things of this world have a tendency to harden our hearts. And that's the enemy's desire, that, 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 so that the word of God wouldn't take root and bear fruit in our lives. Many are seeking today, but never finding, right? Do you ever see someone constantly on their phone, just scrolling, 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 scrolling? You come back an hour later, scrolling, scrolling, Facebook, Twitter, looking at pictures, looking at tweets. What are you searching for? It's, it's almost like searching for something that we never find, right? And I believe the Lord, through his wisdom, wants to give us something that is fulfilling. So if we do these things, now verse 5, you'll see where this condition leads us. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so when we prepare our hearts to seek after the Lord, we see the then, which is number one, we'll get to understand the fear of the Lord. Number two, we'll find this knowledge of God. And this kind of knowledge, again, it's not a head knowledge here. It, it starts there, but this word knowledge speaks of a personal intimacy with God through obedience to his word. And so as we apply our hearts to the Lord, he reveals himself to us in a very personal way, right? Thank God it's not just a doctrine. Christianity is not just believing the facts. The facts point us to who? They point us to the living God, to a person who revives our hearts, who gives us joy unspeakable, who fulfills the, the aching of our soul. And so we find verse 6 now, who the source of this wisdom is. Who is it that gives us wisdom? Well, we see it's the Lord who gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes understanding or knowledge and understanding. And so the Lord is the source of all wisdom. Notice where he gives us this wisdom. Where does it come from? It comes from his mouth. In other words, it's through his word that we find wisdom. It's not, it's not something that he's hidden where we can't find it. Right? Like when we talk about seeking and having this heart to seek, we're not just like groping in the dark trying to seek a God that we can't grasp. No, he's given us his word. And it's through his word from his mouth that he gives wisdom. And notice that it says here he gives it, right? In other words, it's, it's not us seeking it and having to find it ourselves. Rather, he, we, we have to prepare our hearts 
and desire his word above all else, but it's the Lord who gives us the revelation through his word. We are kind of like baby birds crying out in need of our mother bird to come and drop that worm in our nest. We cry out for that food. We desire it with all of our hearts, just as a newborn baby cries when it's hungry. But you need the mother to deliver the food. And the Lord gives us this wisdom. It's a gift that he gives to us. It's not that we earn it, but we set ourselves in position to receive it. He longs to be wanted. A.W. Tozer said in his book, Pursuit of God, he waits to be wanted. Too bad that many of us wait, for many of us he waits so long. And remember James tells us as we draw near to God, meaning that we forsake the things and we repent of those things that we've put in his place, then God draws near to us. And so he's waiting to be wanted. Just as, as, an, heavenly, as an earthly father, there's nothing that brings me greater joy than when I come home and I see my boys there waiting for me. You know, Rob and I were at a pastor's conference uh, Sunday through Wednesday. And when we got back on Wednesday, I just, the first thing I see are my boys. And what joy that brought, that they were there waiting for me. They, they wanted to see Daddy. They, they, they hadn't seen me for a while, and it was in their hearts. Well, guess what? As, a, as an earthly father, oh, that gives me great joy. Can you imagine our Heavenly Father? When we say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to put all these distractions aside. I'm going to put all the things away that I've put before you, and I'm going to seek you. Do you not think he desires to give you good gifts? to give you everything that you need as you seek him through his word and through prayer. And what we find as Christians is that everything that we need, we find in Christ, don't we? Everything we need, every promise of God in Christ is yes and amen, Scripture says. Think of it this way. I think this is a great analogy of what I believe our text is showing us tonight. As a Christian, you've been given a field, it's, it's been gifted to you. It's been given to you by, the, by God the Father. And in this field, it's yours, and it's unsearchable. But all you see is a field. But you've been told that within this field are hidden treasure. And so what do you do? You get your, your shovel, and you go to that field, and you dig it up, and you dig it up. And the more you dig it up, the more treasure you find. And that's a picture, I believe, of our relationship with Christ. God's given us his Son. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given it to us. And in Christ, every promise of God we possess. But the only way we find those promises that we already possess is if we dig them up in the word of God. And so the Christian, Christian maturity is merely digging into the word of God and finding out who you are in Christ and what he desires to do in your life. It's incredible and it's never-ending. You can search forever and you'll constantly find new treasure right see it's not like you you come to the end of searching like oh well, i've read this passage before i'm just going to skip it because you know i i dug that up last year no you dig it up this morning you're going to find new jewels new gems that god's going to reveal to your heart and to your life and so now we get to the benefits of wisdom in verse 7 Notice he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. This is speaking of the Lord now. He is a shield 
to those who walk uprightly. And that word shield, it means a buckler. It's a small shield that would have been used to fend off a close-ranged enemy. So there's, in other words, there's, there's close combat. The, the enemy hits us close to home. He comes to us, and yet the Lord's there to be our shield from that close combat. He's our defense. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice. He protects us. He defends us from exposure, injury, and destruction. And notice he also preserves the way of his saints. That means he shows great care over our lives. And then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Remember that from chapter 1? That that's why we want to study this book? He wants to give us these things. And when wisdom enters your heart, notice it doesn't say head there, and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Notice his word must enter our hearts. This points, I believe, to the new heart that God wants to give us through his spirit, right? The, the, the new heart that the prophets foretold. He would take that stony heart out of us and give us a heart of flesh. Speaks of being born again when God's spirit comes and dwells in us as Christians. And what does he do as he, as he dwells in us is that he enlightens us to the word of God. I mean, think about your life before you were born again. What was the word of God like to you? To me, it was dry. It was boring. It was heavy. It was unreadable, unknowable. I know I should read it, but I just couldn't. And the moment God's spirit came and dwelt in me, all of a sudden this book that collected dust for years became the most precious truth known to man. Why? Because God changed your heart. Because his spirit took up residence. And all of a sudden, he's not only given you a desire to read it, but the ability to understand what you're reading. And now you're just like that newborn babe. You can't get enough of the milk of the word of God. And I pray that that's where we are, right? If that's not where we are, then we need to... Ask the Lord to help us with that, to remember that first love that we had for the Lord. Because as you walk with the Lord a while, sometimes knowledge replaces that heart. Sometimes knowledge, we think that we know certain truths. And that's why we need to be reminded of those truths so often, because God wants us to have this heart relationship with him. And so now we're going to see in verse as 12 through 22... We're going to move on to the second half. And this is kind of a lecture that, that the father is giving to his children. Now we're going to see wisdom's deliverance from sin. In other words, wisdom makes a practical difference in our lives. And we're going to see two different people in our text who try to draw us away from the Lord. The first in verses 12 through 15, we're going to see an evil man. And verses 16 through 19, an immoral woman. And so look at verse 12 with me. To deliver you from the, e the way of evil. Now, notice the word deliver, right? In other words, it seems as if we're on our journey, and no matter how much we're sheltered, we will encounter temptation. And so the wisdom that God wants to give us is going to deliver us when temptation comes our way. When we, not even realizing it, walk or fall into the path of temptation, his wisdom wants to deliver us from this from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of, right, of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. 
whose ways are crooked and whose, who are devious in their paths. So we see here this man, this evil man, who has forsaken the straight path, and now he's gone on to the crooked path. And he's trying to sway us from, from the Lord, really, from following the Lord. And notice it's the man's speech that tries to ensue us. And today, as I was meditating on this, think of the words that the world is seducing, especially our youth, trying to seduce our youth away from the Lord. You know, our, our universities are leading the way of change in our society, and, and they're trying to promote a secular worldview, humanism, the idea that everything revolves around us as man, that somehow man is at the center of the universe, evolution. You know, I remember in college, every class I took, it didn't matter what the subject was, somehow they tie it to evolutionary theory. And notice I said the word theory, because it is a theory, it's not a fact, even though they try to teach it as it is fact. Anti-Christian doctrine that you see today, religious pluralism, the idea that all religions are equal, except Christianity. You can believe in anything, just don't believe in Jesus. Subjectivism, everything's relative. There is no absolutes. In fact, the only thing that is absolute is that there are no absolutes. Do you ever notice that? If ever someone tells you there's no absolutes, just remind them that they're making an absolute statement. And so they must not be anything themselves. And increasingly, professors, we see study after study showing that professors are increasingly irreligious, uh, atheistic, liberal in their policies. And there's this moving away from absolute truth to subjective feeling. This is some really hard stuff I'm just going to read. Uh, a couple quotes from professors. This is from Bill Savage, a Northwestern University professor. He said this, as, and this is in the context as parents leave their children at college. He said, after a teary-eyed hug, mom and dad drive their SUV off to the nearest gas station, leaving their beloved progeny behind. And then they are all mine. He later suggests he's not trying to indoctrinate the students, but rather help them think for themselves. Professor David Barash of University of Washington said this, every year around this time, meaning the beginning of the semester, with college year starting, I give my students the talk. It's irresponsible to teach biology without evolution. And yet, many students worry about reconciling their beliefs with evolutionary science. Just as many Americans don't grasp the fact that evolution is not merely a theory, but the underpinning of all biological science, a substantial minority of students are troubled to discover that their beliefs conflict with the course material. The more we know of evolution, the more unavoidable is the conclusion that living things, listen to this, including human beings are produced by a natural, totally amoral process with no indication of a benevolent controlling creator. And so he's saying, as I teach evolution, the conclusion is there cannot be a loving personal God. And again, there's this moving away from a God-centered uh, world to man-centered world. Anything goes, including sexuality, sexual identity, truth. And the people in our colleges are being indoctrinated by this. And in, in case we don't think about that, these are the people, the young people, who are going to become leaders in our country. Politicians, judges, teachers, 
babysitters. And it's going to have a trickle-down effect as we see our society move away from the Word of God, away from truth. A 2012 Southern Baptist Council study found that in just one year of college, 70 to 88% of students raised in evangelical homes walk away from the faith. 70 to 88% of, of evangelical children walk away from the faith within their first year of college. In 2009 study entitled Already Gone concludes that church youth are already lost in the hearts and minds in elementary, middle, and high school, not in college. In other words, that study is trying to show you that really the hearts of the young children, they're not really seeking after the Lord, period, even in the young years. And by the time they get to college, what's already in their hearts just getting exposed. And here's, what, here's the sad part. It indicates that we failed to teach our children Proverbs 1 through 2. We failed to, like the Father, instruct our children. Why? Because there's an onslaught. There's an evil man, just as we see in these verses, who tries to take us from a straight path to a crooked path, to take us away from the truth of the Lord, to follow lies. And it's all throughout the world system that we see. Christian educator Dr. Bruce Short said this, only 9% of evangelical teens believe there's any such thing as absolute moral truth. In Josh McDowell's book, The Last Christian Generation, a survey of teenage Christians showed this. 63% don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. 51% don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. And 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit is a real entity. Now, obviously, we know you're not Christian if you don't believe those things. But we're, we're seeing in the church a whole generation of, of kids who don't know what they believe, who don't know the truth. When you see a lot of times youth ministries, what are they? They're just social clubs where we get kids together and we think by gathering a group of kids together just socially, playing video games, watching, you know, that somehow we're preparing them for a world that's hungry and thirsty to derail them from the faith. And they go to college and they hear these arguments and they, these arguments are polished. These arguments are, are you know, they're coming from people with PhDs, people who they esteem as learned. Are we preparing our children for the world that awaits them? And not just our kids, right? Like, this is the world we live in, too, as you turn on the news, as you listen to radio, as you hear these things. This is the world that we live in. We're going to see in verse 16, and we're not going to cover her too much because we're going to see a lot of this immoral woman as we go through Proverbs, but I just want to hit a couple things here. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. And so we see in these verses, not only did we have the evil man, but now we have this immoral woman. She's going to turn up on many of these pages. And, and what's sad about this, probably, you know, 30 years ago, you kind of had to go to the seedy places of town to find the immoral woman. But now the immoral woman can come into your house. As we see technology, as we see the Internet, uh, she comes into homes through pornography According to Bitdefender, which is a security tech company, 
the average age of exposure to porn is 11 years old. They did a poll of children 18 and under, and they found that 22%, or nearly one-fourth of, ch of children 18 and under who saw porn were under the age of 10. And so when you have 18-year-olds, nearly a quarter of kids under 18 who see porn are under the age of 10. One in 10 visitors to porn sites are under the age of 10. 10% of seventh graders are fearful they are addicted to porn and the effects are staggering, you know. As I see the little faces here, this is, this is our world. The American Bar Association, which is definitely not a Christian association, it's just an association of lawyers, states this about it, that porn normalizes sexual harm, it promotes aggression towards women, it shapes negative attitudes and behaviors towards women. It, women become objects of gratification. It affects health of intimate relationships and leads to addiction of many kinds. The immoral woman flatters with her words, we see in verse 16. Just as the evil man, her words try to sway from the word of God, try to detract, try to desensitize, lowering the guard until we take her bait. And we see in verse 17, as we take the bait, it causes them to forsake the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant of her God. In other words, verbal agreements mean nothing as we give in to the seductress and her lies. You know, we live in a society where verbal agreements mean nothing, right? I mean, I, I've, I don't remember it, but I heard there was a day when your word meant something. When people would just shake hands. And now you have to have contract upon contract upon contract just to try to save yourself when you have any kind of agreement. And yet this is the, the sign that, that, that a society has followed after this seductress in different ways. And we see in verses 18 and 19 that the, her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. Notice the word leads. It also could be translated sinks. In other words, this is a downhill slope. That when you find yourself on this path, whether it be the evil man or the seductress, it's a downhill path that has a destination. And it's not life, even though it promises us life. Because her words and his words promise life, don't they? They promise you pleasure. They promise good. They promise this is the truth. We're all created, you know, out of nothing. In fact, we're not even created. We're just a blip. We're just a blob. Live any way that you want. That's where you'll find life. Live for pleasure. Forget about commitments. Commitments don't matter. Live for yourself. But the path leads to death. And no wonder when we see our society, this is where we're heading. And I'm, I'm not trying to be a doomsday preacher, but... You read the news, it's, it's, you abandon the word of God. This is our lot as a society. But there is good news, verse 20. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. And so in other words, this is what wisdom wants to do. Wisdom understands God's word is able to protect us from the evil man, 
from the seductress, right? David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That when we find ourselves on the paths of temptation, where lies are being sown into our mind, whether they be from someone else or even in our own heads, God's word is there to defend us. His word is there to preserve us, to protect us, to guard us, to keep us from that path. And so often I found in my life when I, be, when I find myself on that path, isn't the Holy Spirit so good to send that word into our mind, to remind us of the truth, to speak truth into our hearts, to keep us from that direction. For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. In other words, those who seek the Lord and follow his word, they're going to dwell in the land. They're going to bear fruit in their life. It's going to be a beautiful life, as we saw last week. Those who heed the counsel of the Father, when you compare them to the rest of society, their life's going to be beautiful. Their life's going to be a light in a very dark world. And God desires that we would bear fruit. Amen? You know, here, here's the beauty of this. I just want to close with this. God's word will always have the last word. So when you see society sinking in this direction, and maybe your life has been heading in this direction, his word is eternal. The words of this evil man are going to fall to the ground and wither away and die. The words of the seductress woman are going to wither away and die, but God's word remains forever. And he will have victory. You know, this is not, uh, you know, a bad, it's not the ending. We already know the ending. And the Lord is going to be victorious. Yes, things are dark in our world. And my challenge to us tonight is, number one, are we seeking the Lord? Are we allowing our hearts to gravitate towards his word? Are we praying, not only for ourselves, our, our children that are represented here? Are we entrusting them with the word of God, with truth, so that when they do face temptation, they will be equipped for the world that is so hungry and waiting for them. You know, God help us as a church to equip our children with the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. In the midst of so many voices, Father, that are vying for our attention, for our, our children's attention, Lord, all we can do, Lord, is just pray for mercy. Father, I pray for mercy over our children, the children of this church, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would protect them and guard them, Lord. I pray that you would, through your spirit, give them a love and a desire for you, for your word, Lord. And I pray that you'd equip our children, Lord. I pray that you'd equip the, the children's teachers, Father, that, Lord, maybe some of us, we, we teach children, and it's so easy to just you know, get into a cycle of just day after day after day or week after week of teaching. But Lord, would you put a renewed spirit, Lord, a new, renewed heart, Lord, for our teachers to realize the significance of what we're doing, Lord, that we would help prepare them, Father. And Lord God, I just pray that you would allow your word to just shine, Lord, in a dark world. Gra help our hearts to gravitate towards this truth because we know that your word brings life that it brings good things, Lord, into our hearts and our lives, Lord. 
And so, Father, protect us from the wicked one. Protect us from our own fleshly desires. Protect us from the seductress, Lord, and from the evil man who wants to sway us away from truth, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.